Well, so um, I haven't preached in a while. It's been quite a few months. Uh, so this sermon might feel like about 10 sermons in one. <laughs> Got a lot of stuff to kind of cram in here. <laughs> so it's easier to do that when you're doing it, it preaching every week. But I just, the, the, uh, what I feel like God's just put on my heart, I just, um, I wasn't sure how to like make it flow. I think it will at the end, but I just, uh, it's something I really felt impressed to share with you all this morning. About a month ago, I uh, went to court to see if I could get out of some traffic tickets. I'd never been to traffic court before, so it was a, a new experience for me. I showed up, uh, and I'm in a courtroom full of like 75 people, and they're all there for various traffic, uh, traffic vari- uh, violations. Um, at the beginning of, of court, the district attorney got up to say to the whole room how the process would work. He said, uh, he reviewed everyone's case and also looked at each person's driving record. And, uh, and he said, after doing all of that, he was able to come up with some recommendations to the judge, uh, which was basically going to be a plea deal that we could either accept or not accept. And uh, it was a pretty straightforward process. So one by one, the judge would call people up to the, court, up to the front of the courtroom the DA would then hand them this blue paper, the original ticket information, the violation information, and then uh, it would say whatever the reduced charge or violation would be. It usually, end, usually ended up being something like uh, speeding was reduced to uh, parked on the highway, which carried no points and wasn't quite as big of a fine. So don't park on the highway, apparently. I learned that. <laughs> The judge would then ask if you accept that charge and how you would like to plead. Uh, If you're happy with the reduced fine and the penalty, you would say, I plead guilty. Uh, Then you would sign the form and move over to the clerk sitting right next to him and, uh, and pay whatever you agreed to pay. But... The judge only took the DA's uh, recommendations under uh, consideration. He could uh, lessen it or even dismiss the ticket altogether if he saw fit. So I was sitting there for like an hour plus, probably 50 people went up while I was waiting. Uh, Seemed like it was going to be one of those things where I was the last person to go. Uh, and it's court. They don't allow phones or anything, so you're just there sitting there, people watching, and, and uh, it's a small room, so you can hear every single person's name called up. You can hear the judge say exactly what it was they did and what they were being offered. So there was quite a bit of transparency. <laughs> you'd, uh, and after a while, you'd start to see some consistency in what the DA was, was offering. If, if you had a good driving record uh, and uh, you were given, like, uh, say, a ticket for going 20 over the speed limit, it was often reduced from four points, which is a big deal, to uh, no points, and maybe the fine was often lowered to whatever the cost of being parked on the highway was, which is like 100 bucks. So if you're, in case you're wondering, it's not a cheap parking spot. <laughs> but it was still a better situation than what they were, what they were originally facing, uh, which was like a $300 fine and multiple points on their record. And one by one, people went up to the DA to get, to get their plea deal, and people would usually accept the deal because it was way better than what they were originally facing. I eventually heard one person go up for the exact same thing that I was there for. I was, I was like, okay, here's my chance. I can hear kind of like based on what he gets what I might actually get. 
So the judge says, uh, the judge offers, offers his plea deal, and it was $200 with a $90 court surcharge. <laughs> I was like, great, that's, that's going to be me. I hope, <laughs> I hope Ashley doesn't kill me. <laughs> Finally, my name is called. I go up to take the blue paper with, the, with all the information on it, hand it to the judge, and uh, waiting, hearing to see what it's going to be. The judge says, hi, Mr. Prothero. How are you today? And I'm like, I'm doing great. I'm in court. <laughs> Couldn't be better. He reads the plea deal and says, a recommendation has been made to dismiss the first charge and to, to reduce the second charge to parked on the highway. <laughs> whoop de doo <laughs> Although I was happy about the first charge being dismissed, I knew how much the other one was, and uh, I was kind of bummed about it. And the judge looks at me and says, Mr. Prothero, how would you like to plead? I, I seriously didn't know what I was thinking. Um, I mean, the idea of being before a judge period is sort of nerve-wracking if you've ever had that experience. Uh, and when he asks, how do you plead? It's sort of like a, like a stutter, uh, you know, you're not sure what to say a moment. And so I'm not sure why anyone would think to say anything to say, well, Mr. Judge, I actually don't agree with that, and I don't want to plead guilty. But that's essentially what came over me. <laughs> the judge asked how I'd like to plead. All I could say was, I'm not sure how I'd like to plead, because I was hoping to get something reduced on this charge because I fixed the issue right away, and, uh, and I, here's the receipt to prove it. The judge looks at it and says, so you fixed it? And I said, yeah, and he didn't even look at it. He says, okay, great. Well, then I'll just dismiss this one too. And I was like, okay, well, I guess that was easier than I thought it would be. He says, uh, uh, do you, how do you, uh, do you want to just sign here? And then it's all done. And he's like, that's great. Just pay the $18 surcharge uh, and uh, you're good to go. So I was like, that's a much better situation than I was originally thinking. So I'll take that. I go over to the clerk right next to him and she says, I'm sorry, sir. Uh, there's a 2% surcharge on credit cards. Is that okay? I'm like, yes, that's fine. <laughs> I'll pay it. <laughs> I left that courtroom with the biggest smile on my face. I just, I couldn't believe, like, like I was seriously thinking I'm going to end up paying at least 300 bucks. It's just going to be, just kill my day and blah, blah, blah. But I got in the car and uh, the first thing I did was I had to call my wife and just tell her what had happened. I just couldn't, I couldn't wait to, to let her know that both of them had been dismissed. And um, she didn't pick up. <laughs> so I called back two seconds later, and she didn't pick up again. After 10 minutes, she calls me back. And I was like, what the heck? Why didn't you call me? Or why didn't you pick up? I wanted to talk to you. <laughs> She's like, sorry, I think, I think Haley was watching Netflix on my phone and must have canceled the call when you were calling. I'm like, thank you, three-year-old. I know that's happened to most of us in here at some point, if you have little kids. I want to talk about something today that I think is essential for us as Christians to sort of embrace in our walk with Christ. It's the freedom we enter into because of what he did for us on the cross. And many of us have acknowledged what Jesus has done for us. You know, he died for our sins, but we might have not truly understood the reality of what that means. Or, we are, or, or that we are truly walking as ones that are free. And we carry this weight of sin uh, and guilty 
attitude of, of, of something that we have been truly forgiven of, yet we don't really know that what Jesus did was enough for us. What does freedom in Christ actually mean? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I don't have any cool graphics or slides today, so if you like taking notes, I'll try to, you know, give scripture references. And if you want to hear something again, just, uh, just I'll, I'll repeat whatever uh, I need to. But I want to turn to Romans chapter 8 and uh, just read the first four verses here to start out. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus for the law of, from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his Son in the likeness of his sinful flesh and, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Sort of a lot there, but there's no condemnation, and we have been set free from sin and death. This passage is fascinating because it talks about basically the reason for why Jesus came. When you read Exodus and Leviticus and, and the books of the law in the Old Testament, you see how difficult it was and keeping all the Jewish commandments. There were so many of them. And, and then the process of atonement, when someone broke one of those laws, always required the, the sacrifice of a clean and perfect animal in order to cover that sin. As you read through the Old Testament, you see how difficult it was for the children of Israel to keep all of these laws. No matter how many sacrifices were made, and how hard they tried to keep and obey them, they always fell short. That's why it says here in Romans, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he, com he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. It's a really hard passage to memorize if you're looking for something to memorize, but it's an amazing passage just because it speaks so much to why Jesus came and how things have changed because of it. He came so that the requirements of the law would be fulfilled in us. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, just really short, it says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sin, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world world. Hebrews 10, 14, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect those who are being made holy. That's what he did on the cross. He became the only sacrifice that would cover all sin. But the thing is, it's, it's not about saying, but Jesus paid the price for my sin, so I don't have to live by the law anymore. I can forget about the law and just Live however I want, because Jesus paid for my sin. There's an important thing that many people forget, though. The law was never abolished, and Jesus himself said that in Matthew 5, 17. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. There's a difference here in how we view this, because it, it, 
pretty much illustrates that it wasn't that Jesus was trying to come and make it so we, all of our sins were forgiven. It was that he was trying to make perfect the law, which we could never keep on our own strength. When God established the Old Testament law, it was never about him just creating a process for us to live. It wasn't intended to be a bunch of religious regulations and commandments for us to follow and obey. And when we sinned we, uh, and broke one of those commandments, we simply offered a sacrifice to cover that sin. Some people get really caught up on whether we should still follow all, the, all, uh, all or some of the Old Testament Mosaic law. But when we do that, I think we actually miss what it was that God desired and intended when he created us. It wasn't about creating humans and then enacting a religious code for them to follow and then punishing them when they broke it. That wasn't the point of it at all. It was about relationship and us being in communion with our triune God. The overarching theme in the Bible is not about this wonderful set of laws that he gave to Moses on a mountain and, how, and then how a group of people called the Israelites couldn't follow them. There's something much bigger than this here. The story of the Bible is about redemption and restoration. It is about breaking a curse that has been placed on the world the moment man first sinned. When Jesus died and was raised from the dead, something much bigger than simply fulfilling the requirements of the law happened. In Romans chapter 8, the passage we just read a moment ago, it says he didn't just pay for sin. It says he condemned sin. That sounds a lot different than he just paid the price for my sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 18 and 19, it says, Just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the, man, of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. It wasn't about just fulfilling those requirements that God gave to the Israelites so they could maintain a covenant he made with them. It was about Jesus fixing a broken world and redeeming us all of humanity for the, for, from the bondage and curse of sin. It was about freedom. So where, where does that leave us today and how does that affect us today? the reality we have in Christ. How might our lives be different if we truly embraced and lived in this reality? And there's three things I want to talk about here today um, that, that help kind of help me sort of see this and I help, will just help us in understanding what our freedom in Christ actually looks like. In the Old Testament, a sacrifice was always required to atone for sin. It's no different in the New Testament except the nature of the sacrifice that was made was Jesus Christ. Earlier I shared about my experience in traffic court. As much as the analogy of a judge dismissing a charge helps us see what freedom in Christ is like, 
it's actually completely a completely incorrect way to look at what Christ actually did for us. When it comes to our standing before God as, the, as ones who are either guilty or not guilty, the Bible is very clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 Every single one of us has sinned and the penalty for that sin, it isn't a fine, it isn't community service, and it isn't attending uh, some class on how to be a better driver. And there's no plea deal offered. We aren't able to inject, interject before the judge and say things like, but I was a good person. I only thought about killing my co- co-worker. I never actually did it. It's all the same. In Romans 6.23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. There's no middle ground. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The free gift of God is not just forgiveness from our sin and to get us by until the next time we sin. It is about eternal life. And this gift, although it's free to us, it was not free. There was no commutation of our crime. Jesus just paid the price for us. I said earlier about a sacrifice, about how a sacrifice was always required in order to atone for sin and death always being the penalty. Jesus substituted himself as the person who would die so that we would live. So in order for the analogy of us standing before the judge and him telling us our charge has been dismissed, in order for that to be correct, what happens is we, we end up seeing Jesus as the actual judge and that he himself paid the price for our crime. There was no dismissal. Someone else just paid it. So we get to walk out of the courtroom as a free person. And the penalties we are facing are no more. So how would this outcome change the way we live the rest of our lives? How does it make us feel knowing that we are only free because someone else paid the price for that crime? And this is what I mean by uh, what Jesus did for us is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not It's not this free pass to continue doing and living however we please. In Galatians 5, 13 through 14, uh, Paul says, uh, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this command. Love your neighbor as yourself. After sitting in traffic court for quite a long time, I saw person after person go up and have multiple points added on their driving record and also have to pay hundreds of dollars in fines and, and even sometimes being required to take safe driving classes or, or um, whatever the judge would suggest. It wasn't like these people were dealing with DUIs or serious moving violations, but it was... It was people who got caught going 18 or 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. Or, uh, and I'm just going to be honest, I, 
I've never done that. <laughs> no, I have done that. I'm sure a lot of you have too. And people who might have just simply changed lanes a little quickly or a little unsafe or following too close to another vehicle, I've never done that. <laughs> How many of you have done that? I'm kidding. <laughs> or even texting while they drove. I'm not perfect, but I'm not commenting. I wasn't in court for any of those things, but I'll tell you what, after the judge dismissed my charges, I realized how I wasn't invisible. And cops will pull you over. Right, Greg? That happens. They do do that. <laughs> and just because I haven't been pulled over for any of those things doesn't mean I haven't done them. It, it me just means I just got lucky. So I'll tell you what, though. Knowing the penalty for those things, four points on my license, man, my insurance would, Ashley wouldn't be happy about that one. <laughs> $300 fine, the inconvenience of taking driver safety classes, or even possibly having my license taken away, depending on how careless I might have been at the moment. Uh, when I left that courtroom, I drove a lot slower going home. And I was sure to stop completely at the stop sign. <laughs> it's like there's nowhere I'm going that's worth four points on my license and a speeding ticket. What I'm saying here is the freedom we have in Christ should cause us to want to live our lives differently. It should cause us to want to love people more selflessly. It should make us want to allow the fruit of the Spirit flourish in our lives it should cause the sinful desires to become less and less as the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Ultimately, when we come to Christ, everything about our will and desires and nature changes to conform around the image and identity of Christ. I love Charles Dickens' story, The Christmas Carol. I hope some of you are in a Christmassy mood this morning because I thought it'd be fun to talk about it. Jen's not even in here, is she? Jen Veach is like a Christmas fanatic. She listens to Christmas carols all year long, just so you know. It's really nice. I'm not making fun of it. I just, <laughs> Craig's like, no, please tell her to stop. <laughs> She's our family director, in case you don't know. Um, in the story of A Christmas Carol, I'm pretty sure I've seen every single movie version of it at least 10 times. And I do have to say the Muppet one is by far the best. Amen. <laughs> you have Ebenezer Scrooge, who, he's this old miser. Uh, he had no heart or care for anyone in the world but himself. In the story, he gets visited by three spirits, or ghosts, if you're Pentecostal. The first one takes him to his past, where he witnesses the joy he once experienced in life, and also how certain decisions he made put him on the traje trajectory uh, for the man that he would ultimately become. He left that experience sort of feeling regret. The second spirit takes him to the present where he sees his nephew Fred enjoying Christmas and making memories with friends and family, something Scrooge did not have. Then the, then the Spirit takes Scrooge to visit his employee, Bob Cratchit, played by Kermit the Frog in the true correct version of the story. 
Scrooge realizes that despite how poorly he has treated Bob, Bob is still able to be thankful and find happiness with his family, even though they have so little. The final spirit takes Scrooge to the future. In the future, people speak very ill, of, Ill and poorly of Scrooge. Tiny Tim, Bob Cratchit's son, has passed away. And there doesn't seem to be anything positive or happy about the impact Scrooge has made in the world. At the end of this, of, at, at the end of this uh, encounter with the spirit in the future, he takes him to a cemetery and dire directs Scrooge to a neglected gravestone. In a moment of hopelessness and horror for Scrooge, he thinks that this is the end and that he will not be given a second chance to make his life right. After the realization of how awful he was as a person to everyone around him, he begs the Spirit for mercy, pleading that he is a changed man and will not be the same person. That same moment, he wakes up in the next morning in his own room. He had been given a second chance. This would be a pretty awful story if Scrooge immediately went back to being and acting like the same person he was before he met the spirits. But that's not what happened. He was changed. He became generous, loving, pleasant, and grew to think of others before himself. And my favorite part of the story, Tiny Tim doesn't die, right? I love the story because it's about redemption and a new start. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. It's a verse for the Christmas carol. But it's also a verse for every single one of us. Fortunately, how many times do we not live this way? Unfortunately, how many times do we not live this way when it comes to our freedom in Christ? When we acknowledge Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it's not a free ticket to just keep doing and being exactly as we were before. It should change us and cause us to be different. We need to embrace the, the fresh start that Christ has given us and our new identities in him. The second way our freedom in Christ should impact our life today the world should see a change in us. People should wonder what has happened. Why are we different than before? Psalms 34 verse 5 says that our face should be radiant with joy. It's when the truth becomes real, that amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. Christ should be the most, Christians should be the most cheerful, grateful, merciful, generous, and loving people on the earth. Unfortunately, that's not often the case. Sometimes we see the complete opposite. I'm not saying this is a blanket statement, but as far as the world is concerned, our witness to what Christ did for us is not very positive. Just like Ebenezer Scrooge, everyone who knew him before 
from before could not believe how he had changed. People would just stand back and smile in amazement at the amazing work that had taken place in his life. When something as big as where we spend eternity and the bondage of sin being broken in our life happens, it should become evident to everyone. It should cause us to want to tell every single person we see. It should also make us want to live our lives completely differently than before. We should be glowing and radiant with joy. Our lives in every way should look differently. When I left traffic court that day, I was smiling very big. The first thing I did was get in the car and call Ashley. And when she didn't pick up, I was like, okay, fine, I'll just try again. I kept calling until finally I got through because I had to tell her what had happened. If something like getting out of a traffic ticket gets us excited as this, how much more would we be excited about being forgiven of our sin? It's a fair question, but I think it's hard to answer because of our inability to weigh the seriousness and consequences of our sin against reality. It's just hard to see them because we haven't experienced it. In our world today, we often struggle accepting the idea of sin. We think things like, oh, I'm pretty good. I mean, I haven't messed up very much, just a few times, but for the most part, my life is in good shape. What this thinking does is it causes us to believe that we can make it by just fine on our own. We don't actually need to ask for forgiveness because we weren't we aren't really in that bad of a place. We might say things like, sure, I've had some hurtful things, I've done some hurtful things or uh, dishonest things at work here and there. I might have been dishonest to my spouse or uh, about this thing or that thing. I just have this small habit of gossiping about people, putting others down behind their back or telling a lie that makes myself look better in front of others. But I mean, seriously though, I'm, I'm not that bad. Church, this is where we are today, and this is a bad place to be. Just because you think you're in a good place, the Bible is quite clear, though. All have sinned and fall short. We need to stop playing the, com the, the comparison game. It gets us nowhere other than creating division and making our witness to the world more difficult. The best of us is no different than the worst person you can imagine if neither has Jesus Christ. In order to grasp what it was that Jesus did for us on the cross, we need to be able to come to a place where we can acknowledge and understand what it was that we have been saved from. When I was growing up, we had this choir come to our church every year from this, um, this organization called Teen Challenge. And Teen Challenge is an amazing Christian discipleship ministry that helps people recover from drug and alcohol addiction and helps them just get their life back together. When they would come to our church, they would always share testimonies and stories about what God had done in their life, how he had brought them out of the gutter usually literally, to a place of recovery and salvation. 
It was always amazing hearing these stories of changed lives and people coming to Christ. But to be honest, I would usually think in order to have an effective and good testimony, I had to have this exciting PG-13 sounding story to tell. So I thought maybe I should just go out and get in trouble. <laughs> I was 12. <laughs> maybe I should just do some bad things and then come back to Jesus. Then I would have a better story to tell. I've heard this same thing from so many Christians, though, who have grown up in the church or in fairly stable lives and who have said things that their story just isn't interesting. Their testimony is boring. The thing is, it's actually a bad mindset to have because it actually causes us to think that when we come to Christ, we're all on different playing fields. Depending on how bad or good of a sinner we think we are, we see ourselves as, oh, I'm not as bad, or I wasn't as bad as they were. And that's completely not true. Before we came to Christ, we were all on the same playing field. The only thing that makes, makes us able to stand as one who is redeemed and set free from sin is that we have acknowledged and received the free gift that Jesus has given us. There's literally nothing we have done on our own strength that gives us the ability to look with prejudice or a judgmental attitude towards another person. Because without Jesus Christ, we are all without hope. We need to live life with humility and in perspective to what it is that we have been saved from. Because this freedom we have through Jesus, it is worth celebrating. It's worth shouting about and letting the world know what we have experienced. And unfortunately, like Ebenezer Scrooge, sometimes you have to see how bad it is before you realize how serious it is that we say, God, I need you. I don't want that to be my future. The third thing, we need to walk as ones who are truly free. This is a big one. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In John 8, 36, Jesus said, If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. If our life is in our life as Christians, there is so much opportunity for us to doubt that what Jesus did for us is actually enough. These doubts are simply accusations from the one who accuses us of not truly being forgiven. For many of us, the knowledge of our freedom in Christ is about as far as it goes. When it comes to allowing the reality of that freedom permeate our life, that's where we see a disconnect. At the, at the start of, of the message today, I, I, I talked about the primary reason for Christ's coming and that it was not simply to just forgive sins to fulfill the requirements of the law. His mission was ultimately so much bigger than that. 
It was about fixing a broken world and redeeming all of humanity from the bondage and curse of sin. We often struggle allowing this reality of what Christ did on the cross to become a position of victory for us, a position of authority for us, that we just know it to be true. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 55, 57, 55 through 15, 55 through 57. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine you have just been told by the judge that he is dismissing your case. Every charge against you is gone. Just like that, you have gone from facing the rest of your life in prison or worse to walking out of the courtroom as a free person, able to do and go wherever you want. What if at that night, out of habit, you still call your case officer just to check in? He says, why are you calling me? The judge threw out your case. I don't need to know where you are anymore. You're free. The next day, your friends invite you to the lake, but it's in a different county. So you say, I'm not allowed to go there. They say, but you're free. You can go wherever you want. This happens every day for years. This person has not truly accepted and embraced their freedom. It sounds ridiculous, but this is often what we do when it comes to our freedom and position in Christ. We know we are free, but we haven't been able to truly accept it. We carry things with us that remind us of that time when we were in bondage. Hurts, memories that cause emotional turmoil, feelings of guilt, shame, brokenness, inadequacy, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness. These are things that he does not intend for us to carry. And these are things that he wants us to surrender so he can claim victory over them in our life. This goes past simply knowing about what Jesus did, that we're free, and even believing and accepting it. It is about walking in confidence and boldness in the knowledge that because of Jesus Christ, we are free. We're free from sin and from the bondage and burden from the curse that we once carried. That's what walking in freedom is about. And that's something that I feel like many of us truly struggle with because there's a lot about what we go through in our walks as Christians that is causing us to feel like this, it's, it's not real. I'm not truly forgiven or, or I just don't know that God's going to really come through for me in this situation. Or if God really did heal this situation, why is there so much guilt and powerlessness? And these are things that we need to continue to bring before the Lord. It's not a, it's not a, uh, it's not a, it's not a, a point that we arrive at. It is a journey and a process that the Holy Spirit works us on it, works in us on. 
But we have to maintain authority over those things that we are victorious because of what Jesus Christ did and that we can stand in victory and boldness because of that. I'm, I'm just going to pray and ask God to help us with, with really truly understanding what walking in freedom looks like, with knowing the price that he paid for us and how much that cost him but that it was freely given to us and that that changes us. It causes us to become so different that the world looks at us different. Let's pray. Jesus, God, I thank you for this, for this truth. God, I pray that right now as we close this time together, that you would be at work. If there are ones of us who are just unsure about what all this stuff looks like, the idea of needing a savior, the idea of feeling like we have said yes to Jesus, but we still feel like nothing's changed and nothing's different. The struggle of really believing that this is, this is true. God, I pray that your, your spirit would fall. That the revelation of what you have done for us would become truth, would become real, would become transformational in every area of our life. God, I pray that, that seeds of your gospel have been planted in us. That all, although we are saved, I pray that you would help us to recognize that you have not left us high and dry. And that although you have covered our sin and the next sin, but it's so much more than that. It's about you conquering the curse of sin and death and you bringing us back into relationship with you, God. And we are so grateful for that. We're so grateful that because of what you did for us on the cross, we can walk confident and in boldness knowing that we carry the hope of glory with us. Jesus, we thank you so much. We pray that you bless us as we go. Pray that you help us to always be mindful that church is just the tip of the iceberg about what you're doing in our life. Help us every moment, every day to be able to walk as though you are right there with us and that every opportunity, every, every situation we find ourselves in is an opportunity to share your love, to share your transformational power with other people. Pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. Be blessed, and uh, we'll see you next Sunday.